thanks for being here. If it's your first time here at Mercy Road Church, we want to welcome you. Uh, we believe the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, that no one's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. And we've been living that out during this teaching series. I want to tell you, today, uh, like this entire four-week series, is just a little bit different. And so we did this last two weeks. I know it's lame, but we're going to do it again. Turn to the person on your right and to your left and say, it's starting to get normally like this. Could you do that? It's starting to get normally like this. Uh, we have been doing a, a four-week teaching series. We're on our third week called God's Sex in the Bible. And this morning, uh, I'm very excited to share the story of a friend of mine, uh, David, who's going to be up here in just a little bit. He's going to share his story, and then I'm going to ask him some questions live. And like this entire series, if you have any questions that you have that don't get answered, feel free to put that on a Connect card. Next Sunday, I'm saving some space to answer questions throughout the series, so uh, don't be afraid to do that. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet, both on our online campus and now on Facebook Live. So it's going out live on Facebook every week as well. We're glad you're here and hope you connect with God. If you have a Bible, turn to Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. I read these verses last week. And if you are new to this series, I really encourage you to listen to the last couple weeks because I've noticed you talk about an issue like this, and it's very easy for people to get confused if they missed a, a portion of the series. And so the first week, we really talked about sex in our culture in general, that why the church should address sex in our culture, why scripture does, why God cares about it. We talked about premarital sex and that that's not God's best design, that he actually desires not only to have a better sex life, but for you to begin to trust him more than just your own intentions. Last Sunday, we addressed a <laughs> controversial topic, and I just got to tell you, thank you so much to the life of so many of you in the church. We, we had people that disagreed with what I shared on homosexuality, and we had people who agreed, but there was so much encouragement I mean, it was overwhelming. I've never gotten so many positive emails. Thank you guys so much for being willing to talk about a difficult issue. We did address last Sunday that uh, same-sex acts, uh, homosexual acts, uh, we believe Scripture is clear that that is a form of sin. Uh, it's one of many forms of sin throughout Scripture. We also talked about that the church as a whole across the American culture and Western civilization has done a pretty poor job, and that's saying it lightly, at demonstrating compassion to all people, including the LGBT community, and that we shouldn't treat that sin like any other in our churches, uh, but we should address it. And it does have, sexual sin has a lot of repercussions, so we talked about those things. And then we talked about that this must be a safe haven for anybody, wherever you're at, that you can ask deep spiritual questions, that you can be honest about what's going on in your lives. And we could actually see the God of the universe transform each of us where we're at. And we all struggle with identity questions and issues, whether sexual or not. So I encourage you to watch those two online because I want to make sure nobody gets confused by that. Cool? So this morning, um, I'm going to be introducing our speaker in just a moment, but I see the guys in the back. I, I want to make sure and say this. Two weeks from today, we are kicking off a third Sunday morning service. Who's pumped and excited for that and when it's happening on August 14th? The sign-up sheets are coming around right now. If you have not signed up, we needed 78 new volunteers. We have over 85 of you already signed up, so we hit our goal. Thank you. 
Uh, it's amazing, incredible. Here's the deal, though. We really need more Mercy Kids volunteers. It's the most important area of ministry. You're shaping a life. Most people make decisions for Christ about 80-some percent by the time they're 18 years old. And so we've only had eight of the 85 people sign up for Mercy Kids. Why, why don't you guys love kids? What's wrong with you? We love kids around here. We'd love for you to sign up for that. Those are coming around. Um, but I'm going to pray now after I read this passage. And I just want to tell you that when we address these issues, it's okay if you disagree with the things that we share. But we're always going to teach the Bible directly as what we believe it's said historically, not just on this issue. We've done it on every other issue. And so this morning's testimony comes from somebody who has... Uh, it was a gay man for a number of years, considered himself a gay man. He also has had all kinds of other identity and sexual issues. I mean, it's literally going to hit about every single person in the room. And I got to know David over the course of the last month. And to be honest, the main reason I'm asking him to share this is only the third time he shared it in the church. And although he shared it many times other than that, I was so moved by how much this guy loved Jesus. And I just felt like you guys needed to hear this and that this series should give voice to people. And so I've asked him to come in and share with us. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, behold! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I want to give testimony this morning that I believe that to be true, an actual reality that will occur as we address some very difficult things this morning, that for anybody that finds faith fully in Jesus and surrenders their life and desires to live for him, that we get to look forward to one day, all the pain that is represented in this room will be gone, and there will be no more tears. And you're going to hear some of it this morning. And we're going to celebrate that Jesus came and we can live a resurrected life and live eternally in heaven. Will you pray with me? God, in a moment... Um, a few slides are going to come up on the screen that share the heart of David's story in his own words before he speaks. And God, as we just take the time to read these five slides on our own, may it impact us right where we're at. May we hear that this isn't representative of everyone's story, but of one man's story and the difference you have made in this man's life. And I pray that it would move us wherever we're at spiritually, to just live for you, to love you back. We give you this morning. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room right now. We pray we would have an honest conversation about difficult sexual issues. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Let's watch the screen.
Will you welcome David as he comes up to share with us? Thank you. If I said I wasn't nervous, I would be lying to you. But um, I have done this before, but I haven't done it at home. So it does make a little different to share my story, but I feel it's a story that, of redemption that Jesus has done in my own life. I grew up in Pennsylvania on a dairy farm, a beautiful setting of a farm. I um, grew up in a Christian home, had a father who was a wonderful father, but emotionally absent due to his work. Had a grandfather who um, was a, the patriarch of the farm. He had a stroke in his late 40s. He was paralyzed on part of his side. And all I can remember is his cane sitting in a chair under the locust trees. Um, as a little boy, you know, 10 years old, I was unloading hay one year, one day, and he came out to the barn, and there was a hay chute behind the elevator where you loaded hay on. And um, for some reason, I was a chosen grandchild that he did not like. I don't know whether it was the blue eyes and blonde hair that was foreign to the farm, but we never got along. So he came out to the barn as I unloaded the hay with the farmhands, and um, he kept telling me to, to go back behind the chute, and I kept saying, no, I'll fall. And um, the next thing I know, I'm laying down on the bottom of the barn, on my back, on a slab of concrete, and all I can remember is him looking down, 15 feet down, laughing, and thought it was hysterical. At that moment, my identity was broken because the boy's identity is formed through his father and grandfather, not through his mother. And so that started a seed that the enemy planted in my mind of rejection. So through that, I became the prey of the farm through the farmhands. I went through sexual abuse. Um, the thing about what people don't understand about sexual abuse is that not only is the shame incredible and the secret of the sin, there's also a form of pleasure with it too. And um, I didn't discover that, I didn't know that. But what does a 10-year-old boy know? You know, how do you, how do you manage that? And of course, nothing was ever shared or discussed. Everything was kept silent. And um, so the years went by, and I started to do what most boys do. Um, I started dating, because that was the right thing to do, correct? So I started dating, and um, I dated this girl, and she ended up going into service. And she came home from leave, and she was pregnant. I was like, wow. So now I'm 21, and um, she said, I'm going to get an abortion. And she has already started to show. She was two months pregnant. And, um, and at 21, you really don't know. I didn't know anything about abortion. Abortion was just, had just been accepted in our country. I didn't know anything about life. And the, as the time went on, the baby wouldn't abort. 
So now we're at four months pregnant. The government took her into the Naval Academy in Philadelphia. I flew out there, and at that time they were doing a new experiment where they took the needle through the, the, the mother's stomach and disintegrated the baby, and the baby was aborted. At that moment, I realized that I had just killed my child. I didn't know anything about it, but I, I knew in my spirit what I'd done. And that shame embedded in me in a way that I never knew what would resolve. The rejection from her, what I had done, I had no idea where to, how to handle that or where to move that or where to even to navigate that process. But what I was comfortable with was the same sex. And I knew I could be safe there. So I ended up going into the gay lifestyle. And, you know, that's what I was comfortable with. I didn't, I didn't really consider myself, I didn't know if I was gay or if I was straight. Or what was I, you know? So I put my sexuality into my identity, not knowingly. Uh, as the years went by, I discovered thinking that that's the lifestyle that I was leading. I moved out here. And I realized that the betrayal that I discovered in the heterosexual lifestyle, I was also discovering that in the homosexual lifestyle. There was no truth. And I was a man of like commitment, a man of honest, I thought. I ended up going to trade school, and I ran into a teacher at the trade school. Her name's Ruthie. She's not here anymore. She's with Jesus. But she talked about Jesus like he was, like, right here. And I was very, like, what do you mean here? She was always here, you know. And she would just talk about this Jesus. It intrigued me. Um, I had no idea who Jesus was because Jesus was in heaven the way I grew up. And, you know, I didn't know anything about a personal relationship. If somebody would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said, yes, I was a Christian. If they would have asked me if I, how, to get, how do I know to get to heaven, I don't know that I could have answered that because I considered myself what I call a process Christian. I wasn't a relationship Christian. So she gave me a Bible, and I took it. And I started reading, as she told me to read John first. And I had a partner, and I'd, at night I'd read this Bible, and he'd go, what are you reading it for? And I'm going, I don't know. But I was reading it, and it was fascinating. And um, I started reading the Bible because I was looking for truth. I didn't have any idea that I was in, in a relationship or in a lifestyle that wasn't according to God's plan for me. And when I read the Bible, I have to be honest, I didn't like some stuff in it. But I liked a lot of it. I loved the love of Jesus. I loved the, 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 the forgiveness that he, he died on the cross for us. And, but I was very confused. Like What I read in the scriptures didn't match up to my life. I was like, uh, what do I do with that? So I really like had to really dissect who I was. You know, where was my identity? 
And my Ruthie kept telling me about, you know, Jesus and, you know, you need to, to ask him into your life. And I did. And I came to Jesus and never once did she ever talk about my lifestyle. She never condemned me. She just brought me to Jesus. But through Jesus comes the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that guides us into all truth. Um, so I started to um, realize that maybe I wasn't quite living the way God wanted me to live. But I had no idea how to change that. And I asked him, could you help me figure this out? So I asked Jesus into my life, and I started to look around for help. Um, I went through what I call the Yellow Pages seasons. For those that are younger, those, there was about a book, about 10 by 12, about that there. They had all these businesses in there. So I started calling churches up, asking them if they could help me. As I started dialing, I would dial on Monday mornings because they were closed on the weekends. And I continued to get, no, we can't help you. No, we don't allow people like you in our church. No, we have no idea what to do for you. My heart just kept sinking deeper. Um, I was a boob tube religious fanatic. That was the only thing I could find. You know, I was going to lay your hand on the screen, you can get healed. And I would lay my hand on the screen thinking I was going to get healed. And I would wake up the next day for the same thing. I didn't have a guide, I didn't have a guide to tell me I didn't need to ask Jesus into my life every day because I felt the same as I did yesterday. Um, I came home one day, I sat in the living room, and this is the part of my story that I love because people just kind of scratch their heads on this one. I sat on the uh, chair, and I'll never forget it. It was a rocking chair in my living room, and all of a sudden, the gates of heaven opened up. This beam of light came down, the angels were singing, and I spoke in a language that I did not go to school for. And they call that the baptism of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was in the gay lifestyle. I was living with my partner, with all this stuff, and I just experienced this. Wow, what do you do with that? It's like most Christians would have looked at me and said, he's not saved. He's, he's going to hell. And I just had this supernatural experience with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what to do with it. I was scared to death. And I really, I didn't even tell anybody. I kept it a secret. I finally told my teacher, and she goes, isn't that just like the enemy, keep it quiet? She goes, huh, kid? She always called me kid. She said, that's what you call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I started to really seek out more truth in my life. Um, I didn't have a church. Um, I was a, I watched 700 Club a lot. I finally wrote out of pain and help 
suicide was running through my thoughts because, you know, I felt condemned. The, um, I wrote a letter to Pat Robertson, One Last Hope, I thought. And believe it or not, I got a response back from him. It was eight pages of hope, help, and direction where I could go. Um, so I sought out that direction. I started to lay in the hands of some ministry people on the, out on the West Coast. I met other people like me. I was like, I, didn't, I wasn't alone. Wow. I thought I was alone, just like the enemy, keep you isolated. Um, so I went through the process, and it was a process. There were three years of isolation here that I had no help. My gay friends were walking away because I was a threat or they didn't like me anymore. I had no Christian friends outside of a, maybe a couple. It was just me and Jesus in the Bible. Many nights crying out in tears, help, help me. And then I finally found a church, a loving church, a body of believers who didn't know what to do with me, but they were willing to walk with me. I saw a Christian life that I had never experienced before. Different people, different causes, different beliefs in society, but they all loved Jesus, as I did. And I kept finding more and more love, and God kept showing me what a Christian community looked like. Um, so life went on. I started to build my career. I started building my kingdom, as I call it. Um, I ended up meeting someone who I fed over, love, fell in love with her, head over heels. I finally thought I met my soulmate. Got married, enjoyed our marriage, enjoyed the travel, enjoyed the, our career building. And 18 years later, what I didn't realize was there was a crack in the marriage. And there was an adultery. I, at that point, I was totally taken off guard. I felt like a semi had just hit me on the highway. Um, I was devastated. My identity was questioned again. I had a church and a pastor who rallied some of the strongest Christian men I've ever known in my life. They, they walked with me in the pain, and it was a pain that I had never experienced before. I, through that, I went through 2010, 2011, not even knowing the major earthquake that was coming. My mother died on Easter weekend. In July, the divorce was final. And my father died the following Easter weekend. I lost the three most wonderful people I loved in 51 weeks. That was more pain than I could take. My brothers in Christ and sisters did the best they could have done. But there wasn't enough drugs or alcohol to take the pain away. I couldn't 
it wouldn't work. The pain was gut-wrenching. I had some beautiful sisters that told me about this man in Champaign, Illinois, who runs a recovery program. And they said, you really need to meet Randy. But I'm not going to Champaign, Illinois to meet some guy. I can, you know, figure it out here. I said, no, this guy's different. So I'm in the process of writing a book, and I asked him, I said, Do you, would you read this manuscript, and could you help me? There's some areas that I need to clean up. I said, I feel like God's calling me forward, but as Joyce Meyer said, I can't go backstage and keep smoking a cigarette and having a cocktail after I speak. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. So he said, I think I can help you. So I drove to Champaign, and the very first time met in his home, and he had read my story. He said, man, you've gone through a lot of pain in your life, a lot of tragedy. I said, yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't think I was special. I didn't ask why I went through what I did. And he had the gift of knowledge, and he said, this isn't your problem, but I think we need to go back to your grandfather. I said, well, he's dead. He goes, yeah, but whose issue is it? I said, well, I guess it's mine, because he's gone and I'm still here. He said, let's go, let's revisit that scene. He called his beautiful wife, Lisa, and they laid their hands on me and started praying for me, and he asked me to go back to the farm and go back to that moment of laying on that concrete. And as I did, in tears, abundance, the pain started rising up again, the rejection of a grandfather. And he said, what do you see? And I said, I'm just, I'm on the concrete. He said, do you see anything else? And I said, actually, I do. He said, I said, I see a haze, a white haze underneath me. He said, really? He said, well, ask God what that is. I said, all right. I said, God, what is that? And it was a clear, clear, clear in my ears. He said, son, that was my hand. I caught you or you would have died. For the very first time, I felt the love of God. Because what the grandfather did was give me an image of a father who I never could measure up to. I couldn't quit this. I got Jesus, and I fell in love with Jesus, but I couldn't get to the father because I always felt I wasn't good enough because of what happened when I was a little boy. That experience took me on a road which happened a few years ago, to a beautiful moment in my life now. I can say to the church, we need to love. And when I go to Luke 5, and I think about the friends and the paralyzed man on the mat, 
There were times in my life I was a paralyzed man, but I have friends that were able to pick that man up and take me to Jesus. We need people like that in our lives. And if you don't have friends like that, that want to keep you on the mat, you need to get rid of them. God will bring new friends in, trust me. It happened in my life. And the church needs to be open to the struggles of our lives. We all struggle, and we're all in pain. I know that. We all have issues. Some are issues are different than others. But we all need Jesus. And we need the body of Christ with compassion. We need the body of Christ with love, not judgmental. We've already been condemned in the world. We don't need that. We need to be united, helping each other. So with that message, I'd just ask the scriptures say, love one another. Can we do that? Thanks. Thank you for being willing to share that. And I know it's, it's not easy and, um, and even to do it in the time that we've allowed. And I, to recap, if you walked in in the middle of that or if you didn't catch it all, I mean, there, there was a lot of life story and pain there. Would you agree? From uh, the being pushed out of the haymow as a young child to sexual abuse to an abortion to the gay lifestyle for many years, finding Jesus three years later um, before you leave the lifestyle, and then eventually getting married to a woman for 18 years, and, and then adultery, and then, then dealing with identity questions all over again, and then getting to the point where you find your identity in, as a son of the living God, which is just incredible. It's exactly what we looked at last week, where Jesus found his identity. He's baptized, and this is, he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, that each of us are to find our identity there, primarily. And so I, I, I've gone over some of these questions with David ahead of time, um, but I'll tell you, I'm going to, as much as time will allow, ask any questions um, that are pertinent to what we're talking about. But I think what would be important, first off, I mentioned this is David's story. Like, you, you can't take that away from him. It's not saying that every person uh, has this story. It's not saying that every person who's struggled with sexual sin has this story, or every gay or lesbian person has had this story. So please hear that. But David, for, for you, um, you were sexually abused as a child. And I think for some people, they would have difficulty, you know, they'd want to know, why didn't you just see that, oh, I'm having attractions to men. That was because of the sexual abuse in my life. Why didn't you think I'm not gay? I was just abused. What? Am I on? Yeah, you should be. Yeah. Is it coming off? Yeah. Um, I didn't really, I didn't pay attention to that. I didn't, you know, the reason why the rejection 
of the heterosexual life, the reason why the sexual abuse didn't really um, penetrate was because, you know, there was a, a pleasure and a safe haven with the same sex. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I experienced the abortion process and, and went through that pain and rejection, my mind went, well, I think that's, I feel safer there. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't necessarily the sex that was great. I just felt safe looking for an identity in a man to be approved. So you, you became a Christian then, and, and that makes sense what you just shared, but it took three years before, you, you know, you were living as a gay man for three years, um, had surrendered your life to Jesus. God had been speaking to your life. You've been reading the Bible. What, why did it take three years before there was a change in that area? Well, I always say I went with heel marks all the way, dragging as Jesus kept pulling me closer to him. But things just don't happen overnight. You know, process is process. It takes time. Um, it, as you know, if you want to lose 10 or 15 pounds, you're not going to lose it tomorrow. Um, it, if you're going to try to quit smoking, you're not going to, it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, there are miracles that God does do, but I don't see a lot of miracles in our culture here. It seems more that things take through a process, and there's a reason why I feel because had I not gone through the correct process of walking away, I don't think Jesus could have healed each step along the way hmm. or could have prepared me for the earthquake in 2010 that I experienced. Hmm. Because what happened with that identity was I questioned the, why God could have done that. And the enemy definitely wanted me to think that it was because of my lifestyle and my abortion that that's why my marriage let, fell apart. Gotcha. And I believed that. I bought into that lie. Yeah, and I do think sometimes in all these things, we're asking for God for a miracle, like, just fix me. And he does do miracles sometimes, like he coordinated our outfits today, which is pretty Yeah, incredible. I know. <laughs> Doesn't always, right? Uh, Mine looked better. Not planned, yeah. Um. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so, three, three years, and I got to tell you, you made me feel bad for all the bad things I've said about televangelists over the years when... I heard that about Pat Robertson. I mean, that's just incredible. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, I still have the letter. It's eight pages, typewritten. That tells you how old it is. But. Good for him, man. And, and w during that time that you felt, I mean, churches just in general just kind of rejected you, didn't want you around. Um, it wasn't that they didn't like you. They just didn't know what to do with you, basically. They had no idea what to do with me. At the time, you've got to remember, that was the rise of AIDS was on a mm. high um, homophobia was running rampant. Um, people didn't want to be near, you know, anyone like me. You know, I, I was like a leopard. Yeah. Well, I got to ask. So, sexually today, how are you? Do you still struggle with things? What, you know, what are the questions? And how long did it take before you were attracted to a woman? Um, I would say that took about ten years. I had a 
uh, lesbian client in my chair and I told her I got engaged and she looked in the mirror and she goes, how long did that take? I said, 10 years. So yeah. um, it was a process, but I did fall in love. Um, and, and by the way, when I've talked to other people, that it was about 10 years. The other person I talked to that had a similar thing happen, abuse not in their background, but 10 years before their attractions changed. Yeah. So. I mean, Jesus can change the heart. I couldn't change it. I had nothing. I had no um, ability to change my desires. I mean, Jesus changed those. And God, you know, made what was broken whole again. And um, at today, I mean, I have no, I have no desire. I, in my marriage, I never looked at another man or woman, not once. I was completely satisfied. And um, it took me a long time to, to be able to look at a man and find them really good looking, but did I want to go to bed with them? No. But, and then I realized, God said, that's my creation. Mm -hmm. That's who I created, and I made them that way. And it's okay to think that a guy's good looking. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make you gay. Right. Right. No, that's a, a great point. As far as the, the, the divorce and the betrayal, how did your sexual identity and the feelings respond during that time? Because I know that was a big emotional thing. That was a big thing because that was like taking every sensor that was connected to my brain and everything was unplugged. Um, totally stripped. Uh, I think what the worst part that was for me was standing there like a peeled banana because of the there was such an age difference within the adultery that Satan really got in there and made me feel that I was unworthy to even be a man. Mm. And um, um, so it was, that, was a, that was a hard thing to kind of process through, but my great friend in Champaign, Illinois, walked me through that one too. So. You know, got some of those lies. You know, Satan just wants to get in there and gets in your head and he wants to lie to you. You know, you take those lies and you, they can, he can just, he, he, his, his goal was to keep us from Jesus. You know, I fell in love with Jesus. Uh, and uh, he, I still make mistakes. And I'm flawed. And I, you know, I'm never going to be whole until I get home. And none of us are. Mm. And our job is to help each other get home. Yes. That's why I love Revelation 21. And for me, is like the most important message when we're talking about these things. Like if that's a real reality, we should desire for everybody to get that, that place of feeling whole, to be complete, of one day in heaven there will be no more pain or suffering or tears. Like it's such an encouragement. I want to make sure we, we don't have much time. So these last two questions. If someone came to you and said they were gay, what would you want to say to them? So? <laughs> I love it. And, and explain that a little bit more. Well, if somebody came up to me and said I'm gay, and you have to understand, some of my best friends are gay. Just so you know, um, I would ask them if there's something I can do for you, or I would ask them tell me your story. Mm. That's great. And and. Um, the final question here, what would you say to somebody struggling with sexual brokenness, brokenness of any kind across the board? Well, <clears throat> the, the thing about sexual brokenness, you know, people need to understand that when the fall happened with Adam and Eve, sexuality broke at that moment. The reality of sexual 
brokenness happen there. And it will always be broken until Jesus comes in and heals and repairs and transforms. And, you know, whether it's a heterosexual issue with adultery, um, pornography, or homosexuality, it's brokenness. And, but it can be repaired. I'm a witness to it. I have a story to tell about it, what Jesus did. And uh, it's great. Can we thank David for sharing all of this today? I appreciate your coming from everybody. I'm so happy to hear you share this. As, as we wrap this up this morning, um, you know, as I was talking with David over the last few weeks and even this morning, and he just shared with me something that I think is really important. He didn't tell me I could do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is his Bible. If uh, you are younger, this is what they used to look like right here, as David shared earlier. And you can see the wear on this of somebody who has poured in and studied Scripture. And, um, you know, he shared with me, he believed that Scripture is really true. And it's ultimately what ended up changing his life and wrestling with what scripture said and what he had previously already believed. And it wasn't something that just instantaneously, all of a sudden you love every story in the Bible and you want to, it is a work in progress. And so as we've talked about these things over the last two weeks in particular in the issue of gay and lesbian issues within our culture, I hope you've heard clearly that the Bible, what the Bible teaches on this, that it is one form of, of sin, yes, but there, we have to have hope for every single person. That God created every single person in this room, loves you, has a purpose and plan for you, desires you more than any human being ever will. And as I talked to him over the last couple of weeks, I think we probably met up two or three different times I mean, just the tears that would come up in our eyes as he talked about his passionate faith in Jesus, that the woman who really poured into him in, in school back in the day, that, that she literally felt like Jesus was right there with him, not just as he shared in some other place in heaven, but Jesus was actually there with them in their daily lives. That that type of passion, if we introduce people to that, it is contagious, the life change that we desire happens naturally when we connect them with Jesus and we ask people to read scripture, not just on the issue of gay, lesbian issues, but on all issues, all sexual brokenness. That it may not take just like, hey, you pray to prayer and everything's different the next moment. And as I shared last week, we're so patient on some issues and so impatient on other issues like this one that we're addressing today. And so I just want to say as your pastor, um, we have hope that no matter where you're at right now, that we can point you to Jesus and he is going to bring the life change that we desire. And we don't have to hold things over your head. Now we have a high standard of leadership. We want to raise the bar of what it means to be a leader, but lower the bar of what it means to belong so that as anybody encounters Jesus, he can change their life, be redeemed, and they can live on mission with him. And so please, if you have any questions, feel free to ask us, write it down on a connect card. But I love that story. And it's the story of many people, of real life, of real pain, of real questions 
of really going, God, where are you in this? As I was talking to him about the questions of why, sometimes we don't get the why answered this side of heaven, and it's frustrating. But you can get the what and the how, and you can learn to love Jesus in a way that you never thought possible. That would be my desire for each of us. Will you pray with me? God, what a powerful uh, testimony this morning. And the reality is, many of us in the room right now uh, are struggling with sexual brokenness. Maybe for some of us, we have endured divorce, as David described there. For some in the room, you've experienced abortion, as he described. Some in the room, you've experienced uh, and are in the middle of being attracted to the same sex, and you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it. God, we pray that, as James uh, 5 says, that we could confess things to one another, including our areas we're embarrassed of. God, that this would be a place where that's okay. We can, we can be honest about the sin and brokenness in our lives. Or maybe it, you're here this morning and you're not even ready for any of that stuff, but you just want to get to know Jesus. You are welcome. God, we pray that you impact and, and empower those very people this morning, that we would lay everything at the foot of your cross this morning. Because some of us right now, we, we've been online and we've been watching pornography We've been doing things behind our partner, our, our, our husband, or our wife's back. God, some of us, we have done things we're embarrassed of and ashamed of. And God, you are a God of redemption, a God of healing, a God that puts us back together. And we pray, Lord Jesus, right now, for those of us in the room that just need to surrender some of that stuff in our lives to you that we would. I know people right now who have done that the last two weeks and are already seeking help. Many people already. God, we praise you for that. We pray that you would see them on to completion according to the book of Philippians. So this morning, Lord, I pray for anyone else that has questions, is struggling, that desires to know you more, to live for you and not for themselves, that they might surrender whatever it is in their life that is keeping them from pursuing your best. God, thank you for speaking to us. We love you. We surrender this morning to you. And maybe you're here with us right now and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. Because of your redemptive work on the cross and your resurrection from the grave, I can know you. You can be with me as David described in my life. And so this morning, right now, July 31st, 2016, I surrender everything in my life to you. Use me, Lord Jesus. I am yours. I love you. God, thank you for the conversation that started here. Thank you for the honesty, God, and may you change us forever. We love you. We praise you, and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Amen. <laughs>